Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us today on Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I'm here today with Grace. She's been married for almost 18 years and has two children, 11 and 16. Grace has been separated since March and wants to share her story of hope and strength and some of the healing that she's experienced and some of the things that she's learned that may help some of our listeners dealing with destructive relationships. Grace, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Can you just tell us a little bit about your marriage when you started to see signs that it was destructive and what what were those signs? There's actually red flags while we were dating, um, just really extreme jealousy and significant anger during those times of jealousy that weren't rooted in reality. So definitely severe anger and explosive anger that I did notice while we were dating. And unfortunately, I just didn't really take heed and uh, listen to those like warning bells that were going off. He was the first person I fell in love with. And I just really felt like God had brought him into my life. Can you describe what those explosive anger episodes were like? Gosh, it just felt like, you know, someone was screaming at you and you can't really hear anything because it feels like the full force of nature kind of coming at you, just saying a whole bunch of things and not being able to get a word in edgewise and thinking, well, this isn't true. Like, why are you saying this? And then him saying, you know, of course you're trying to deny this. And like, I saw you, I know you were flirting. I know like this is what happened. And just feeling like I was kind of crazy a little bit, but it was so powerful, his voice and his words and the way that he talked that I really felt small. Can you describe one of those instances? Yeah. When we were dating, um, the one that I have in mind, particularly, we were at a ski resort community with his mother and his brother. I was snowboarding. So I got the snowboard equipment. And I was asking the person at the front desk a question. I don't recall what the question was, but when I came out, he came out and started yelling at me saying that I was flirting with the guy in the shop and just kept going and going and going so much so that his brother came out and said, Hey, what's going on? And tried to like insert himself, which, you know, of course made it worse. And it just ended up with me just apologizing and really taking ownership for something that I hadn't even done just because I wanted him to stop really. How did you justify that in your mind? Well, it was something that I've been doing for a long time. I did it, you know, with my um, family of origin as well. Peacekeeping rather than peacemaking, just really peace at all costs. um, Even if that meant, you know, not being true to myself or being honest. I, I know Leslie calls it peace faking. That's because, a good way of putting it. <laughs> because it's not really peace, is it? No, no. It's it might be the lack of screaming. Right. But, I just wanted the screaming to stop, yeah. But how did you feel inside? Uh scared and small, really. How what did you tell yourself, Grace, that caused you to go forward with this relationship? How did you justify that in your mind? And I don't mean that at all as a judgment. Right. I uh, So if it comes across that way, please forgive me. I guess I'm wanting our listeners to maybe recognize if they're doing the same thing. 
to kind of learn from you? So the same way I justified going into through with the marriage is the same reasons I justified staying in the marriage. Um, I always likened it to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, always said he was 90% amazing and then just 10% awful. And so because I saw, you know, so much of the good parts of him, which they're very good parts about him, mm-hmm. um, it, it sort of like justified putting up with the really, really difficult and destructive parts of him. Because we're all sinners, right? Right. We all lose our temper. Uh, Lord knows right. I do. So I think sometimes it's easy to take something that's abusive and is a pattern as opposed to an incident. And this became a pattern in your relationship. Is that correct? Definitely. The entirety of our marriage. Can you describe the pattern? Well, I actually kind of started journaling and really seeing the pattern is it usually explosions every four to six weeks. So usually, you know, there's this like bubbling almost where he would be irritable and frustrated. And I I could see it coming. I would see it coming and feel it really. And so I would usually start with walking on eggshells, trying to sort of manage his emotions, kind of smooth everything out for him. So that way he didn't have to deal with anything challenging or hard. So that way I could hopefully avoid some of the explosions. But usually um, they came anyway. And again, I went back to the old habits of what can I do to make this stop? When he would yell, I would do whatever he wanted me to do. Even after that, he didn't usually go straight into love bombing. He sort of like held out a little bit like he was, um, he had reason and justification for being angry with me. Usually it was about things like I've been diagnosed with ADHD and it really looks like an executive function disorder where I forget to like close cabinets or, um, you know, I'm doing one thing and I get distracted and start doing another thing and leave the other thing behind. And that's really frustrating to him. Early on in our marriage, I was leaving cabinet doors open and he decided one day to smash the glass cabinet that we had uh, to teach me a lesson so that I could learn how to not do that anymore. And I did. I learned how to not do that anymore. I was really conscientious about not trying to make him angry again. It wasn't so much learning to close cabinet as learning not to make him angry anymore. Right. Kind of a fear-based obedience. Exactly. Yep. You have two children. Did you see his anger toward your children as well? Just a lot of really belittling, trying to control behaviors and, you know, using fear tactics really to kind of get us to do what he wanted us to do. I think this is so important because sometimes, whether it's because you have ADHD or something else, you're just forgetful or whatever, we do things that annoy our partners, right? And Truly. that's stuff that in a normal relationship can be worked out and maybe you can try to not annoy them. But the thing that I've learned in Leslie's ministry is that feeling of annoyance is theirs to deal with. It's theirs alone. How are you going to handle when somebody provokes you? Says 10 times more about you than the person who's provoking you. Right. And I'm going to guess you had that mixed up. Would you agree? Definitely. My In my family of origin, 
shutting the cabinet doors was a constant source of frustration for my parents. They had very similar reactions to me as my husband. So it, it really did feel kind of similar. Can you describe your family of origin and what that was like? Was it a similar pattern as in your marriage? Similar in that um, I was expected to perform. I, I did feel like unloved and small. I felt overlooked a lot. That was the thing that my husband brought is he made me feel very seen and very loved, you know, when he was happy. And I guess that was similar in my family of origin where I did feel seen and loved when I was doing all the right things. But if I did anything wrong, there, there was a lot of wrath and anger and yelling and screaming and yeah, those kind of things. Wow. What did that do to your self-esteem? What were the things that you would tell yourself about who you are? The over, overwhelming theme was that I was not really lovable and that I was, my only purpose really was to perform and to you know, make sure everybody's happy by doing what is expected of me. So fast forward now into your marriage, you have these two children, you have this pattern of anger happening, and you're trying to keep this fake sense of peace, walking on eggshells all the time, trying to manage his emotions. At what point did you go looking for help? And where did you find it? I looked for help in various ways throughout our marriage, Um, you know, asking him to go to counseling, asking him to consider, you know, going on medication to kind of deal with his just really extremes of emotional behavior, you know, going from depression to feeling good to irritability, just all over the board. I really never knew which husband was coming home from day to day. So begging him to do counseling, and he would always say it didn't work for him. And so that never really worked. Did he at least acknowledge that he had an anger issue? Yeah, he did. Like in that way, he's really open. He just didn't think that he was capable of change, I think. One of the things that was sort of a shift was I was talking to a friend who was dealing with some marriage issues, and she mentioned verbal abuse. And I didn't really understand what that meant. So I started Googling, you know, what is verbal abuse and kind of looked into verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening to me. And then I came across Call to Peace Ministries. I called someone from Call to Peace Ministries and they recommended Leslie's book. And that sort of really set things into motion for me, really wanting something different, wanting a change. Once I realized that what I was living in was abuse, I was really committed in wanting to not have that in my life anymore. I think that's so key because I think there are so many couples that are living in abuse and don't recognize it because Mm -hmm. when you hear the word abuse, you think he's beating her, there's bruises, and that's just not always the case. Give me an idea of some of those phrases when you were going through and Googling verbal abuse, what were the things that jumped out at you as kind of an aha moment? Name calling, belittling, criticizing, explosive anger, financial control, destruction of shared property. Those are like some of the ones that really stuck out to me. What was the financial control that he exhibited over you? He wasn't always like this, but there was a period of time where he was feeling very insecure about money and felt like if we had a certain number, which he just you know pulled out of the air in our account, then we were we were 
safe and we were controlled and we were okay. I was the primary breadwinner and he would take the money that I had made or bonuses that I had got and put them into an account that I couldn't kind of get to or touch, even if I couldn't pay all my bills, all the bills. Sometimes, you know, there was like legitimate things that I wasn't able to purchase or I'd ask my parents or his parents to purchase for our kids so that they could have the things that they needed. It was not hidden from his family. It was not hidden from um, my family. They knew what was going on. What was his family and your family saying? They all see the thing is, is we all like him and we all see the really good parts of him and are disappointed and frustrated by the hard parts of him. I think that's so important, Grace, because when you think abuser, you think of this man who's always abusive, who's Mm -hmm. always raging and always hitting and that's not really the typical picture. They can be quite good people and wonderful fathers or even a good spouse at times, a good provider. And so mm-hmm. there's this confusion in your head of, well, is this just because he's a sinner? Am I just supposed to forbear? And there's so much confusion, I think, especially in the Christian world when it comes to an abusive relationship because it's not always abusive. Yeah. And I, my, in my family of origin, my parents went through a very difficult divorce that was very, very challenging for my siblings. And I, it was heartbreaking really. And I sort of made an inner vow that I would never get divorced, that I would do whatever it took in order to prevent that from happening. And I think that added to some of the dysfunction that I was displaying in our marriage, really feeling like it was on me to make the marriage work because I wouldn't want my kids to have that legacy. I saw myself as sort of being a a martyr and it was pretty prideful, to be honest, thinking that, you know, if I'm suffering that that's be, that's loving um, and that's what Christ would want. And I almost saw myself as better than my husband in a way because I was so patient and so forbearing and all those things. When in reality, uh, I was teaching my kids something that was very unhealthy and not good. I was not being a good example. And I was also hindering my husband's growth because I was allowing him to continue in his sinful patterns. Carte blanche. That's so good. I think sometimes somebody in a more subordinate role, especially in a marriage, takes on the role of victim and almost wears it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I I saw myself as a victim. I think um, that was an identity I sort of held on to. Well, and you were a victim, but you chose to stay a victim as well. Right. I I didn't really see that I could choose something different until recently. And that is such a lesson that I want every person who's listening to hear that you do have choices. Mm -hmm. You do have choices. Uh, They may not always be easy ones, but you do have choices and it doesn't have to stay like it is right now. And you kind of learned that you said you got a hold of Leslie's book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. What was that like for you? I really got a good firm grasp on what is abuse. What is his role in it? What is my role in it? And I got some, you know, good ideas of things that I could do to try to change the dance, so to speak. That that was just sort of the, the real awakening of what was going on. I started seeing the dysfunction and started, started really taking ownership of it and realizing that, oh, I can't keep going on being a victim. I can't keep going on thinking 
as long as I'm a martyr, as long as I'm suffering and forbearing, I'm doing the right things. I was challenged to do something completely different, challenged to no longer take the sort of easy road, but to take take the the high road, no longer sitting by and participating really in sin by doing nothing. That's such something that so many people don't think about. And you mentioned it earlier, how you were enabling your husband's sin mm-hmm. by catering to it, by tiptoeing around him, by not confronting it. What were some of the practical things that you started doing different? And when we say change the dance, Leslie gives an analogy of if you're dancing with a partner and you change your dance steps, that ultimately changes the dance, right? They don't have a choice because you're changing your dance. You're not making them change their dance steps, but by you changing, it ultimately changes that dance. So when we, that's a little explanation, I guess, of that analogy. How did you begin to change your dance steps? Well, one of my favorite examples is there was a time where he had asked me to help him with something. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, I have already committed to something else. He said, okay, no problem. You know, just when you're done, if you could come out and help me. Sure, no problem. I was doing what I had um, already committed to do. And he was outside getting frustrated that he felt like he was doing it all by himself. And he finally stood enough that he got angry and said, I really need you to stop what you're doing. I was on a phone call with a friend and come help me. So I got off the phone call. I went outside and he sort of just laid into me, called me lazy. Basically, like I expect him to do all of the work and I don't do any of the work. But then he started using obscenities. I had all the things that I was going to do to help him outside and I set them down and I said, okay. If you're going to call me those kind of names, if you're going to treat me this way, I'm not able to help you. I will not help you. And I went back in the house. That was one of the first instances where I was changing the dance. He did not like that. I bet Um, not. It did not go go? well. How did that go? (laughs) Not well. Um, He followed me and, you know, continued. Um, But I didn't back down. I I bet your heart was racing, though. Completely. Yeah, I got I was actually ill for a couple of days after that, um, just from the emotional turmoil it was so against what I had done all my life and sort of what my at my core, I thought was the right thing to do to freeze to cower to be a doormat to placate all those things were the my normal tendencies and to do something completely different was very scary. So how did that situation end? I mean, he's following you. That's scary. Right. Um, Well, he followed me. He continued raging. And I just said, you got to stop. You got to stop. And he went upstairs and packed a bag and and left. He eventually eventually did call me and said, sorry, like I was completely wrong. And and he, you know, said, I'd like to come back. And I asked him, you know, I said, you can come back, but you're going to need to apologize to your children um, for talking to their mom that way and let them know that that's not an acceptable way. Uh, for a husband to talk to their wife. Was he so willing he to do that? He did. Okay, good. Yeah, he yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's really been me practicing those same things over again, saying, no, like, this is not how you're going to treat me, just putting for, like firm boundaries. And the hardest part has been, you know, for so long, there was so much confusion over, am I being, am I right? Or is he right? But really, like, 
since Leslie's book and since Conquer, really getting a more clear picture of what is abuse. And, you know, we can have discussions about things that you don't like, but it has to be done in a, a way that's honoring to each other and um, not just dis- dishonoring, which is what abuse is really. Very much so. It wasn't a quick fix, obviously, because you're separated now and you have been for most of the year. Tell me what brought you to that point and why you made that decision. There was a week where there was a lot of blowups and blowups that were sort of scary where um, there was posturing and really me feeling like I couldn't calm him down. It seemed like it was ramping up. Um, And then we just had one really big blow up and he said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Um, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. And he left and then, which he's left multiple times, but this time I asked him not to come home and he didn't. Where are things at now? Well, I think that things are finally hard enough for him that it's easier to do the hard work of changing than it is to continue on in his old patterns. It's been very slow change and up and down, but I do see him starting to address the things that I've been asking him to address all along, just you know, really working on dealing with the dysfunction of his childhood. He's got a pretty strong sense of entitlement that he's been working on. He has been has been reading a book by Chris Moles. It's called The Heart of Domestic Abuse, which has been very eye-opening to him. And actually, I did not go looking for that book. I did not tell him what he needed to do to change this time. Whereas before, I would lay out the things that he needed to do in order to maintain our marriage. Um, you know, things like going to counseling, things like you know, having an accountability partner, you know, reading certain books, I had outlined those things before. But this time, I just really got to a point where I was like, I am done trying to work harder than he has been working on himself. So he is the one who looked for accountability. He is the one who looked for a counselor. He's the one who looked for books, which apparently is very hard to find books that help men who are abusive to deal with their abusive tendencies. Unfortunately, that's really true. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's why Leslie really recommends Chris Moles, but I would say to the women who are listening, please don't run out and get your husband Chris Moles books for Christmas. Because right. they have to want it. They have to want it. They really do. Um, it's fine to let them know there's a resource available, but if they don't want to go get it, only God can change a husband's heart, right? Right. That's the other thing is I think I wanted to have control. I wanted to keep my marriage together. I wanted to change my husband. I wanted to love him through all of those things. And I wanted to make it so that my kids didn't have to, you know, experience the pain that I experienced through, you know, a very difficult divorce growing up. Gosh, I really, really tried to control a lot of things. And really felt like God was just calling me to like, give it all over to him. Like, I can't fix him. I can't change him. I can't make make him want to love me well. I can't do any of those things. So really just, I just imagined myself like holding a huge burden and just saying, okay, God, here, you take this. And I knew by doing that, that I was risking my marriage. I know that, I mean, even now, I don't know what the outcome will be. I mean, he's certainly making a lot of good changes and it seems like 
he's on the right path. But it's not been long enough for me to know that for certain that this is a change that's going to be because that's what he wanted for himself versus him trying to do it just to sort of save his family. I think that's another thing that's so important because we want so much for there to be change and we Mm -hmm. mistake love bombing, which Leslie calls it, which is kind of that phase in the abuse cycle Mm -hmm. where they become Mr. Wonderful and there's Mm -hmm. romance and apologies and everything you ever wanted, but it's very short lived. And Mm -hmm. so you're wise at this point to see, is there a new pattern happening where he's truly doing the hard work on himself? Not that he'll be perfect, but that he really truly will live in a new pattern. And that's actually, I got that from the Conquer group. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gone onto the Conquer face, the private Conquer Facebook group and said. And just for people who don't know, Conquer is Leslie's private membership group that she opens up twice a year to women. It's a small monthly fee, but it's a very private group. And she has a journey in which women can do their own personal work as, apart from their husbands. And uh, go ahead and tell me what that experience was for you. So at various points um, over the you know past nine months, I've had questions of, you know, what should I do? And even in the past week, I said, my husband's doing a lot of really great things. I've noticing a lot of like really positive changes. I'm thinking about letting him move back in. And I think, um, you know, with it being the holidays coming up, just really wanting my family to be together, really yeah. wanting, wanting that. I mean, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be a broken marriage. It's not supposed to be this hard for my kids. Even, you know, not being able to send the normal Christmas cards, everything doesn't feel normal. It right. feels broken and just sort of wanting to kind of patch it all together, put the cart before the horse just so that I can have something nice for this Christmas. And of course, I wasn't thinking about that when I put the question up, but the women would give me examples of how they had allowed their husbands to move back in, you know, well before it was reasonable, or after they had only seen like a couple months of change and um, how it sort of backfired on them. And so I was encouraged to, you know, continue to allow him to kind of work through this and make sure that it's real. Because you may have a Merry Christmas and a very unhappy New Year. Right. And I've worked worked so hard to do things differently. I don't want to just sweep all of that away. My kids have suffered. I have suffered. My husband has suffered. I don't want to just unravel all that just so that they can feel good how, for a little bit. How are your kids doing? Um, I think it was really, really hard for them in the beginning, particularly for my youngest. She's very, very close with my husband. It was very hard for her. You know, my son understood why, because he was both he and I experienced the brunt of his, um, my husband's frustration. So he really understood. He still doesn't like it, which is understandable, but he is old enough to understand the reasons why. What is this Christmas going to look like for your family? Well, I, I mean, I'll have my husband over to, you know, do gifts with the kids. I think that he's made enough progress where it's safe to do that. It's not like that for everybody, but I, you know, it is safe enough for me to do that. It's just awkward. Thanksgiving is really awkward. All of our family knows, and it's awkward in that regard. It's just everything is 
just challenging and awkward and don't like awkward. I like things to be peaceful and fine. And so it's just hard moving into, into that way. Real change is awkward, isn't it? There right. is this, this period of pain. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's always hard when you're in a destructive relationship. And right now is a different kind of hard, but I got to choose my hard. You know, before I, I felt like things were done to me. I didn't have any choices. I didn't have any autonomy, but now I get to choose my hard, which is something I think Leslie says. She does. Um, so I, I expected it to be hard and it is hard when you change the dance. It is hard to be a full-time mom. It's hard to be a, f- a full-time professional. It's hard to be the only one for my kids. It's hard to do all of this alone. It's not easy. That's okay. It's okay for things to be hard. God didn't promise us to have an easy life and that's okay. Well, that's very powerful that you can choose your heart because the truth is if you let him back in and nothing had changed, it would still be hard, right? Really hard. <laughs> I really feel good about the way that God is changing and growing my character. I wouldn't be able to have that peace knowing that I'm growing and becoming more like Jesus if I wasn't choosing this road. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it can be such a painful time when you're living in a destructive relationship and you turn on the Christmas carols and it just feels sad. Right. What is the hope that somebody in that kind of situation can take away during this Christmas season? It's a really good question. I'm living proof that God can bring beauty from ashes. So even though things are hard and look ugly and are painful now, doesn't mean it will always be like that. And if I look back at the past couple Christmases, I actually came across some letters I had written that I had never given to him. The past couple Christmases were awful too, yeah. um, you know, full of brokenness. And so this time it's full of brokenness, but also hope for something different, hope for something healthier, a better example to my children. I'm following Christ more closely. I'm being strong. I'm being courageous. I'm not being afraid, but I'm really rising to what he's called me to, which is to stand for truth and to live a life uh, of truth rather than just covering things over. And it gives my husband a chance and it gives me a chance and it gives my kids a chance to do something better and to be less dysfunctional. I think the really good news about that is every single thing that you just listed, Grace, is 100% in your control. Right. It didn't have anything to do with how he responds. But you are choosing to live in truth and you are choosing to be a good example to your children and we all do have good choices that we can make this season and in this new year. And there is mm-hmm. hope. That's really something I want to offer to our listeners through your story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to share it. I really appreciate it. I liked something Leslie said this last week on a call. She said, you can change your story. You know, God has changed my story when I became a Christian and I'm getting a chance to change my story again, which I'm really thankful for. She just did an entire webinar entitled 
You mm-hmm. can change your story. You can change your life. With the Lord, that's really true. Regardless mm-hmm. of any destructive relationship that might be in your life, you still do have choices. You still can change your story. You still can change your life. And I think that that is something that we all can really celebrate that because of Christ, we can do that. And isn't Mm -hmm. that truly what Christmas is about? Right. Definitely. Thank you so much, Grace. God bless you. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to leslievernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful to you, please subscribe and share. And we'd love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.